Welcome to the One Year Daily Chronological Bible Studies Podcast. This is Rodney Harrier, your host. If you are looking for a fresh and easy approach to read through God's Word and understand it, you have come to the right place. By following these chronological Bible studies, you will understand how the events, characters, and writings fit together in their proper sequence. What you learn can change your life forever. This is a review of the book of Leviticus and a preview of the book of Numbers. Leviticus is a challenging book to read, isn't it? All those sacrifices and dietary restrictions and feasts. Why are we reading about them if they don't directly apply to us today? In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 in the ESV, the Bible says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I hope you come to appreciate the Bible studies from the book of Leviticus. They are rich. Just a note before we begin. This review is extra long, running about 30 minutes, so you may want to break it up, and that is just fine. Let's review. Theme of Leviticus, remember, is holiness. That is an essential part of the Christian life. Do you remember what holiness means? It means pure and absolutely separate from all sin, evil, and uncleanness. God is absolutely holy in every way. God is holy, but he never changes his standard. Because he is holy, he expects perfect obedience. How is it possible? We have a sin nature, so our natural tendency is to do or say things that are wrong. Sin against him or others is offensive, so what do we do about it? In the Old Testament, God delivered Israel from their slavery, became their one and only God, the God of their ancestors. He made a covenant to bless them if they were obedient to Moses' law. Moses' law would incorporate the moral law, meaning the Ten Commandments and how they were lived out, the sacrificial law, which you learned about reading in the book of Leviticus, and the ceremonial laws, which you also read in this book. Leviticus is a manual, laying out what the Israelites were to do, the sacrifices they were to offer to make amends, or to make offerings in times of celebration or in fulfillment of their vows. Here are some takeaways from Leviticus. Like the Israelites, we also bear the responsibilities for our sins. But here's the good news. Jesus paid the price for them. You can see that in Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and Hebrews 10.14. We aren't required to offer the sacrifices of animals or birds or perform specific procedures and rituals. Praise God. The burnt offering was a dedication offering. What kind of dedication offering does God require for us today? After we believe in and accept Christ's payment for our sins, 
He forgives us. We should give our lives in total dedication to God. See that in Romans 12.1 and Philippians 1.21. The grain offering. The grain offering typifies Christ's dedication, the bread of life who gave himself for the world. If we figuratively partake of him, we have eternal spiritual life. See more in John 6, chapter 48 through 63. The fellowship or peace offerings. Although as Christians we are not required to offer sacrifices, we too should give thank offerings to God for the blessings he gives us. They are many. See Psalm 107 verses 1, 2, and 8 in Philippians 4, 6. It is good to share times of celebration at Thanksgiving and other days when we remember the goodness of the Lord. The Sin Offering The sin offering of the Old Testament typifies Christ, giving himself as a sin offering for us. The high priest carried the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering on the Day of Atonement. But they burned the bodies outside the camp, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood, according to Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 12. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to show his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Romans 3.25 The Apostle Paul instructs us in his letter to one church, Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5.2 He, Jesus Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. 1 John 2.2 This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.10 Guilt Offerings The guilt offering was a type of sin offering, but God added other requirements. What can we do about our guilt today? First, like the Israelites, we need to take responsibility for it. We need to confess our wrongs to the ones we have offended, regardless of whether our sin was intentional. As soon as we are aware of it, we need to confess our misdeeds. This is difficult, especially if we are used to excusing our behavior or shifting our blame onto others. It's time to be courageous. We need to face our responsibilities, humble ourselves, and admit our wrongs. Only by doing this will we find peace in our souls. Second, we need to seek the Lord's forgiveness. Unlike the animals the Israelites offered, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. He is our sin and guilt offering. Third, like the Israelites, we need to make complete restitution for the wrongs we have done. Do we need to add 20%? There is no commandment in the New Testament regarding this directive. However, if we were to follow this principle, it would discourage lawsuits. We would be presenting ourselves as honest and willing to make things right.
the penalty we pay might also deter further misbehaviors. What happened if the Israelites did something wrong and violated God's holiness? Well, God killed them. We see that in the example of Nadab and Abihu, who were priests, the sons of Aaron. The Lord killed them for being drunk and offering the sacrifices in the wrong way. Although God may not kill church leaders for dishonoring Him, this story should serve as a warning that the Lord may remove them from their place of service, Revelation 2.5. And lest we regular Christians get too complacent, let's remember that it's by God's grace that we are priests before Him and examples to our world of His holiness. 1 Peter 2.9 For every thought or deed, He will hold us accountable on Judgment Day. Romans 14.12 Therefore the Apostle Paul would later say, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.17 Holiness and health care. What do they have to do with one another? Why is this in the book of Leviticus? First, let's talk about spiritual health. Because God is perfect and righteous in every way, the Lord wants His people to worship Him in holiness. However, even after God washes and makes us clean, we get dirty again. We make mistakes and sin. What do we do about that? In obedience to God, the Israelites sacrificed their best acceptable animals to the Lord, as He prescribed. But since we are not bound by such laws, the Apostle John wrote for us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Second, we should make a commitment to honor the Lord. Our daily lives should express reverence to God in the way we live to experience His joy, pleasure, and blessings. After the incident with Nadab and Abihu, God told Moses, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Leviticus 10.10 The natural question which follows this command is, what is clean or unclean? Let's talk for a moment about a clean diet. This could be convicting. What are you eating? Is it helping or hurting your body? The scriptures tell us, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 That means He owns all of us, every part. It has to do with how we behave sexually, eating habits, exercise, and how we treat our bodies. Dietary Restrictions There are wild animals, birds, insects, reptiles in the deserts, and in water holes or rivers, there are fish. God said some creatures are clean, that is, they may be eaten. Others are not. They may not be eaten. Why is this? There are two schools of thought about these limitations. First one, the restrictions were for better dietary health. You may have heard of the Bible-based health plan or the Daniel plan or some other plan, and some have experienced success. Eating healthy in a desert wilderness 
had to be challenging. Certain fish, birds, and animals were not to be eaten while God allowed others. Why? God doesn't go into the details, but we know some of these forbidden creatures carry diseases. Even though the Jews in Jesus' day still observed these dietary restrictions, some think he canceled them when he declared, What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Matthew 15:11. In that context, however, Jesus is pointing out that eating food with unwashed hands doesn't make a person unclean, but words coming out of him might. Unrestrained words found in gossip and slander are damaging. Cursing, berating, or insulting words are also unclean speech. God loves us, and as Christians we should try to love others too. What we say should come out of a loving heart, which is clean speech. We know this is easy to say, but not always easy to do. You and I both know difficult people, and sometimes we are put in difficult situations. And sometimes we want to curse. But all that is unclean speech. Sometimes we want to give people a piece of our mind. But that would also be unclean speech. It is hard to hold our tongues. And it is hard to speak with love coming from a kind heart. We need to pray about those things. And we need to make serious efforts to do them. Even a harsh word can be sinful. The second school of thought is that dietary restrictions were to prevent idol worship. Other nations may have worshipped these unclean creatures. God wants his people, however, to worship only him. Therefore, God wants his people to be holy, even in what they eat. Praise the Lord that it is now through the sacrifice of Christ that he makes us holy to approach the very throne room of God. We can't do it ourselves. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10.10 Disease and Holiness how can God preserve holiness when the congregation or its members are sick? Isolate the person who is sick, not the society from the sick person. Isolating someone may not be easy, but for the protection of the rest of society, it is sometimes necessary. Recovery and Restoration could the priest ever restore someone to the congregation if he was cast out because he was sick, like had leprosy, for instance? Well, if after being inspected, a diseased Israelite condition improved, the priest might restore him. If he no longer showed evidence of the malady, there was a ceremony to accept him back into the congregation. Spiritually speaking, we Christians can praise God that we don't have to go through ceremonies for Him to accept us. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.26 says. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, He makes us clean and acceptable to God. Our changed lives show others we are clean and have spiritual life. It is helpful, however, when others give testimony about our changed life 
so the congregation will quickly receive us. Barnabas did this with Saul before he became the Apostle Paul. Maybe God has given you the spirit gift of encouragement, and you can help those who are outcasts feel welcome. Miscellaneous Regulations for Cleanliness The Lord institutes other regulations for dealing with dead bodies, purification after childbirth, purification from bodily discharges, and ridding mildew from homes and clothing. These are partially for their health and partially for another reason. God says you must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean, so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. God is holy, so the people must be holy in everything they do. Our cleanliness or holiness. Holiness is being spiritually and morally clean. After Christ cleanses us from sin, we have personal responsibilities to keep holy and pure before God. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 Because of this, we limit ourselves and live righteous lives. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Titus 2, 11-14 Revival once a year, the Israelites had a spiritual cleanup of all accumulated sins, both unintentional and willful. This was called the Day of Atonement. Spiritually speaking, the Day of Atonement instituted in Israel was a cleanup of their souls before the holiday of their Thanksgiving festival. They also cleaned up the tabernacle, later the temple. And they offered sacrifices for the priest and all the Israelites. Then they confessed their sins as they laid their hands on one of two chosen goats. They loosed one. It was their scapegoat. Today, Jesus is our sacrifice for sins and our scapegoat, for he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103:12. Is it time for a spiritual cleanup in our lives? Staying clean. If we are to stay clean before God, we must regularly read His Word to discover what pleases Him. You're doing this now. Great! However, what we read needs to change us. We must not trample on the grace of God by immoral behavior, because if we do, the Lord will discipline us. We must live holy, clean lives before our Lord to experience His blessings. If we look in the mirror, James says, and we see things that need to be changed, and we make no changes, what does that profit us? Our lives are tributes to God. We want others to notice what God has done in our lives, to marvel at His wisdom and what He has done. We want others to worship God. If so, that means we should live holy and stay holy so other people will see what God has done. Ceremonial feasts are tributes to God's faithfulness. Besides their priestly service, we learn that the Israelites visually showed their honor for the Lord in their ceremonial feasts. 
The feast began with the Sabbath, a day of rest from all labor. The Sabbath was a day of sacred assembly and it honored the Lord who instituted it. Exodus 20, 8-11 The Israelites weren't to do any work at all on those days. The Lord wanted their undivided attention and the Sabbath gave the Israelites time to prepare their hearts and minds for worship. Today, we Christians obey Christ and live by grace, not the law of Moses. While we may not observe an official Sabbath day's rest, one day of rest per week is good for our bodies and minds, and it honors the Lord who gave it. Matthew 12, 1-13, and Romans 14, verses 5-6. The Passover Feast the Passover feast commemorated Israel's deliverance from bondage. It began the 14th day of the first month of Nisan, or Abib, Exodus 34:18. This was late March or early April. Their week-long Passover feast is comparable to our Good Friday at Easter week. Interestingly, we traditionally remember Christ dying on the cross on a Friday. But because of the special Sabbath, followed by a regular Sabbath, Jesus died on the cross on Good Thursday, spending three days and three nights in the tomb as Jonah spent them in a huge fish. See Matthew 12:40 and John 19:31. Jesus was delivering us from the bondage of sin. On Easter Sunday, he arose from the dead. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. The next day after Passover, the 15th day of the month, the Feast of Unleavened Bread began. It lasted for seven days. The Israelites ate bread without leaven, commemorating their hasty exit from Egypt. Exodus 12, verses 16 through 20. It was then they began a new life with God. In Jesus' day, he said, Beware of the Pharisees' leaven, meaning their false teaching. Matthew 16, 12, God used leaven or yeast as a symbol of sin because it increases in size and consequences. Like the Israelites, when God delivers us, we need to depart quickly from our wrongdoings and walk in the newness of life. The Feast of First Fruits. The next feast is a wave offering or the Feast of First Fruits. The Israelites brought sheaves from the beginning of their barley harvest and waved them before the Lord. Sacrifices accompanied the grain offerings and the Feast of first fruits implied more yield was to come. In thankfulness, we too should offer the first fruits of our labor, having faith that God will supply all our needs. Proverbs 3, 9-10 The Feast of first fruits also has a spiritual correlation. Jesus Christ would later come to earth as a baby, perform miracles as God's Son, suffer betrayal and crucifixion, and resurrection from the dead. He would become the first fruit of those who will later arise from the dead with eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 We still await that moment. The Feast of Weeks Fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits is the Feast of Weeks, and this is the celebration of the first wheat harvest. Again, there is a spiritual correlation between the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and Jesus Christ. Fifty days after Christ would arise from the dead and become the first fruit, there would be a large harvest of 3,000 souls given spiritual life. Acts 2, 1-41 The Feast of Tabernacles 
and trumpets. This is the Day of Atonement and Thanksgiving. On the first day of the seventh month, Tishri, the Feast of Trumpets announced the coming Day of Atonement on the 10th. This day was the time of spiritual cleansing in the fall, in October or November. A celebration followed, which we might compare to our Thanksgiving, the Feast of Ingathering, the ingathering of their harvest. Spiritually speaking, like the Feast of Ingathering, a trumpet blast will one day sound Jesus coming when he gathers up or raptures church-age believers into heaven. Hebrews 9, 27-28 There in heaven we will have a wedding feast. The Day of Atonement may also foretell a time when Israel will repent and again be God's chosen and blessed nation. This spiritual renewal will happen at the beginning of Christ's millennial reign. Zechariah 12, verses 9-11 through and 13, 1. The harvest celebration continues with the Feast of Tabernacles. On the 15th day of the seventh month, the Israelites made decorative booths or tabernacles, small tent-like structures of palm trees. They lived seven days in these little huts to remember how they survived when God brought them up out of Egypt. For 40 years, God took care of them in the wilderness, protected them, and blessed them. Someday, we will celebrate all the ways our Savior has led us home to heaven. Well, that's the review for this week in Leviticus. Next time, we will cover Leviticus 24 through 27 and some of the book of Numbers. Here is a preview. On day 55, we discover to be holy requires discipline, but it also requires fairness and grace. Find out how to do that on day 55. On day 56, we know the consequences of our sin. Therefore, we need to learn to make the right choice. Find out how to do that on day 56. On day 57, we return to the theme of holiness. We know it's difficult, so how do we maintain God's holy standard? Find out on day 57 as we move into the book of Numbers. On day 58, we learn God wants helpers to accomplish His holy ministry. Find out more on day 58. On day 59, we learn we all have duties to fulfill for our Lord. What are the keys to ownership and responsibilities? We discussed this on day 59. On day 60, the tabernacle is ready to move, so they go, right? Not yet. They make preparations for a spiritual journey. That's on day 60. On day 61, the preparations for Israel's journey are almost complete, but first they must organize a defense. We too will face adversity. How do we organize a defense? Find out on day 61. On day 62, we learn that because soldiers are prepared for battle does not mean everything will be easy. They and we need help to endure hardships. Find out how to do that on day 62. May the Lord bless you as you read his word in our corresponding Bible studies. Go with God, and he goes with you. If you haven't done so, get your free chronological Bible reading guides at our website, chronologicalbiblestudies.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can receive them as soon as they're available. Have a great day. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you can receive the episodes as soon as they are available. Thank you for joining us. Remember, go with God and He goes with you. <laughs>